Hey, this is Keith Coogan, uh, Brad from Revenge of the Babysitting, Kenny from Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. You're listening to Reliving My Youth with Noel Fogelman, and uh, issues are done, man. And welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. And that's right, this week's guest is the one and only Keith Coogan. I mean, how can you have a podcast that features stuff from the 80s and 90s without having Keith Coogan on? Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, Hiding Out, Toy Soldiers, Avengers and Babysitting. We touch upon all four of those movies. We talk a bit about how he got into acting. I mean, his grandfather was Jackie Coogan. Uh, Keith gives us his thoughts about the sexual harassment scandal that's rocking Hollywood. We talk a bit about the latest Thor movie, uh, Star Wars, just pop culture stuff in general. Super nice guy. And here's my conversation with Keith. And helping me relive my youth today is Keith Coogan. Keith, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's go way, way back. Um, with your uh, family in the business, did you have a choice to become an actor, or is this something that you really wanted to do? It was something I really wanted to do, and as a matter of fact, had no idea really that my grandfather was in the business or anything. Uh, we, my mom had like uh, moved away outside of L.A., and I didn't. I was about four years old, and. Uh, really wanted to be on TV, and uh, my mom said, "Okay, well, you're going to have to start with commercials, and uh, then work your way up through, you know, episodic." And I, I don't want to do all that. So about I don't know six nine months later, something like that, uh, she had friends over, and I jumped into the living room and said, "Okay, I'm ready to, you know, do commercials, whatever it takes to work up through it." And uh, <laughs> she thought it was hysterical. She brought me back uh, down to LA. She grew up in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, I got an agent and got right out. And, and McDonald's commercials were some of the first jobs I had. And uh, then just did tons of TV commercials and then moved into uh, getting on TV shows. And I did a bunch of great guest episodes and uh, kind of off to a flying start from there. Yeah, like The Waltons, Eight is Enough. Uh, actually, the first time I think I remember seeing you was, uh, I think, on Fantasy Island. Was that the first time <laughs> I saw you? Yeah. <laughs> A long time ago, and that was that was always a great show to watch too. Uh, then you know, Little House on the Prairie. My wife's a big fan of that show. Uh, I remember seeing you on there as well. And then, uh, well, what was your like one of your all time favorite like guest starring appearances? Oh, Night Rider with uh, Nice. <laughs> yeah, I was excited. The show was coming out, and uh, I think that was on the third episode, so it hadn't even aired yet. And I was shooting and sitting in kit and the whole deal. And David Hasselhoff was a so fun to work with. He was like another kid on the set. That's great. I heard Kit was a real asshole. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so a diva, total diva. Yeah, that's what it seemed like, yeah. <laughs> then, um, what, Silver Spoons and all those other shows that, you know, from the uh-huh. 80s. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a, lot of, a lot of good shows. But your first, uh, I guess, motion picture role, was was that Adventures of Babysitting? Yep. Yeah. That was my, my feature film debut. And, you know, 
be a great Brad, and thanks to Disney, and uh, I with Disney before uh, on a TV series and also uh, as the fox on the fox and the hound, uh, but it just had this voiceover work in our family that didn't really count because it wasn't on screen, so adventures and babysitting, and I, I got it when I was 16. I turned 17 in the middle of filming. That was a big, really big, you know, helped me move off of TV and into film. Back then, you couldn't do both. Uh, it was, you know, pre-moonlighting and Bruce Willis and, like, the ability to jump back and forth. You know, Tom Hanks was still uh, just doing Bosom Buddies and hadn't you know, moved into the movies yet. And so that was a big deal to move from doing a lot of TV work and get experiences movies a week, after-school specials. And always knocking on the door of Hollywood for, you know, that big movie break. I auditioned for uh, Goonies, I auditioned for Gremlins, auditioned for E.T., Stand By Me, A Christmas Story, you know, the list goes on and on, and then the Adventure of the Baby thing was the part that was right for me. How was that audition like? Was that pretty much like a cattle call? Uh, it was a lot of auditions to get up to even doing rounds of screen tests with, uh, you know, other actors and actresses in town for all the main, the four main roles, Brad, Sarah, Daryl, and, and Chris. And it was tough. It was out in Burbank uh, in a small little insert stage, and they, you know, by the final screen test had a pan, they were testing the camera, too, so they had the cameras out for filming it with Panavisions. Uh, it was a it was a really big deal, and it, it just a lot of competition. And I was very happy to get it. <laughs> it uh, definitely. But you were, you also auditioned for the role of Daryl, correct? Yes, they had a switch uh, during audition. They said, "Why well, you know?" And by this time, me and Anthony they paired people off and were looking for screen chemistry. Then me and Anthony had already read <clears throat> this is Anthony Rapp, who played Daryl Cooper Smith. We'd already read for me for Brad and him for Daryl and. and they had to switch out, <laughs> and that was, uh, it was fun to see, you know, the part you were reading up for done in front of you, and it kind of puts you on the spot. It, it helps you understand uh, the other part, and uh, I was very happy when we were able to switch back. I felt comfortable with Brad. Yeah, it, it, both, the casting was perfect for both roles, totally. Have, have you seen Anthony on a Star Trek Discovery yet? I do not have the CBS access all access but uh you know congratulations i'm a big star trek you know the original series and next generation fan and uh loved loved a lot of the inter- iterations of star trek and the love the movies i have no issues with of course star trek 2 wrath of khan is the greatest film ever made but <laughs> i have no uh you know it ranks there's certain there's orders online of like the star trek films as it were and i placed Star Trek One, uh, pretty high up there. It's a great film. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I'm a total geek. Right. I always, I always found that one just to be completely boring. You know, just like the uniforms, everything was just like a big yawn fest until you know they get to Wrath of Khan, and then that's when the real the series really takes off. I feel. Yeah, totally. But yeah, if, if you get a chance to check out Discovery, Anthony does a fabulous job. I was a little skeptical about him being cast in that role, but he, he does a great job on there. And everyone else on that show is really, really good. Oh. And, and it's uh, good to I have... I'm watching and Orville, it's good. I, get, I, I, can, I watch Orville. I have that 
on that show. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I would love to see Anthony. Hey, CBS, uh, all access, give me a, a pass. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, exactly. And and it's always good to see a Star Trek TV show when you can do a little bit of cursing in it. So it's kind of funny. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, back to uh, Adventures. Uh, I'm sure, like, every teenage boy, um, you had a crush off stage on Elizabeth Shue. I would imagine that uh, you probably uh, used that into the role in the movie. <laughs> Whether I'm playing like I'm crushing on her or I'm super jealous because, you know, some frat guy is going to come and rescue the day. Uh, it was very easy. I, my, my choices as Brad were always very clear and self-evident because often it's how I felt. Of course, I had a huge crush on uh, Lisa. You know, when you're in the cool kids club, you get to call uh, Elizabeth Shue Lisa. <laughs> and uh, we had so much fun uh, shooting that. It was really five kids. It was the four of us and Chris Columbus. He has a great way of working with young performers that doesn't talk down to them, and you know, there's a lot of fun uh, in it. I think a lot of there's a lot of charm in adventures. You know, there's some laughs, and they go on. You know, there's some hijinks and great adventures, but there's something about uh, that little unit going around. You, you kind of there's buy it. I think it's really authentic. I think that Chris Columbus really worked with this to bring out some you know pretty endearing performances. I love watching it with an audience. We've been doing screenings of Adventures in Babysitting, uh, celebrating the 30th anniversary this year of its release. And it's so fun to watch audiences, you know, cheer us on through the night. Uh, that was, we did that opening night too. We were around in a limousine with Chris Columbus and uh, Elizabeth Shue and Anthony Rep. We all went and mm. would peek in the movie theaters to watch how you know, the blues uh, scene played or to watch uh, the ending with them. That was good fun. Speaking of the blues scene, can you talk a little bit about filming it? Well, it was a uh, three-day process. So on Sunday, we recorded the song uh, in Chicago uh, at a legendary, you know, recording studio. <clears throat> and uh, with Albert Collins and the Icebreakers and the cast, and then by the next day, they had a temp mix so they could play it as playback on set. And so for the next, for Monday and Tuesday, we shot at, at Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald's Bar, which was in The Color of Money. It was where uh, Tom Cruise got the Malabushka from Holdingman. Um, uh, just not as many pool tables for the uh, blues, blues club scene, obviously. They had, uh, you know, brought out uh, the crowd for it. And for two days, we just shot the blues bar scene with multiple cameras. It, you know, at one point I counted three uh, Panavision cameras out, <clears throat> you know, dolly track set along the back. And we just kept doing the number of the whole scene over and over and over and over again. And so they were able to cut into a, you know, a really fun sequence. And I love the back and forth between the crowd. Uh, they were all very game to play our little scene out. And, uh, it, you know, overall, I think it's well, charming is one of the words that comes to mind. It's cute. And I always wonder how the bad guys got out of the bar, if they had to go uh, sing the blues or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was there any ad-libbing in that scene? Was there any ad-libbing? Yeah. Oh, you know, it was during the rehearsal process that uh, 
we would ad lib. And uh, so many great lines, you know, came out of us kind of working and playing. We put it up. We put all the major scenes up on its feet and acted out as a play. And we had uh, Kevin Lovell, who was there, who played Joe Gitt. Uh, and because uh, we have a lot of dialogue scenes with uh, Joe Gitt and getting us, you know, off of the road and into the chop shop. And then he figures in the plot later with the bad guys. Um, so one of the best lines was, uh, <laughs> could, uh, can you, could you drop us off at a mall, maybe? <laughs> Calvin Levels came back with a mall. Where do you think we have? Boise, Idaho? Uh, and that was all just kind of from playing. So many great lines did come out of improv. But not on the set. Typically, you know, especially with Chris Columbus, who was really inspired by uh, Steven Spielberg having written uh, Goonies and Gremlins and Young Sherlock Holmes for Spielberg. <clears throat> he had a handle on that kind of, um, uh, it's a roller coaster for when you're doing a movie like that. Uh, and so it's tough to, to you know, be improving in that. So it's it good that we had rehearsal. It's rare that you get it, but we had two full weeks of rehearsal. Uh, and the rewriting was going on the whole time, too. Oh, yeah, that's great. So how does uh, Joe Cola factor into the movie? when the gang is threatening the babysitter and Anthony Rapp says, you should go say something to that guy. And I jump up in front of the gang to try to stop and get stabbed in the foot. I drank two full Joe Colas before that scene. <laughs> <laughs> and I was jacked. Yeah, exactly. The adrenaline just pumping through like, you know, the adrenaline would be, it, we were tired. It was probably three o'clock in the morning in the middle of Chicago, you know, really going around the loop over and over and over again. They just ran the train. You know, we had our own train. And no stops until we get all the shots we needed. So they had that was two cameras usually on, uh, you know, one shooting a wide shot and one shooting kind of a close-up. Yeah. And we even had trouble with uh, one of the cameras was a little soft focus. They had to go reshoot an angle. And we got to the subway station late at night after doing other scenes that we had time to go to the pickup shot. <laughs> And the subway station was locked. But we just needed to get up and get into the thing. So we had somebody at the crew that knew how to pick locks, and somehow we got in where we needed to go. We met up with the MTA. Everything was fine. I just love that we kind of had to break into the L train seat, the actual L train station to get some of it done. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Did y'all call it the original energy drink? <laughs> sure was. Yeah. Uh, all the sugar and twice the caffeine. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, I like, Bradley Whitford, that was, like, his first role as being pretty much a prick. I think he, he definitely uh, refined it in Billy Madison, but he, he he played that role pretty well in Adventures of Babysitting. Yeah, he did. And, and he really sunk his teeth into it. You know, we'd, he'd be like, is this too much? Or is this, is this okay if I do this? Or, like, lick my lips here? or um, and, and we all loved it. The slimier he was, the more hysterical we, we thought it was on set. Yeah, that, that was yeah, that was great. Uh, so then we move on a little bit to, uh, which I think is probably your under, most underrated movie, Hiding Out, which I absolutely love. Uh-huh. Yeah, Rolla yeah, Roll Patrick. Um, could that movie be made now, you think? Could be made now, uh, sure. I think there's a number of actors that could pull the uh, running off to, you know, high school 
and they can play the older, younger, they have baby faces, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess looking at, I guess what Twenty One Jump Street pretty much, you know, nailed that a little bit. Gish's character and John Cryer's character, uh, and you even have a funny little line in there about statutory rape. <laughs> well, and that's a good thing that I, I think that his character handles it great, and you know doesn't want to move forward. It doesn't ever feel inappropriate while you know it's happening. It's something you think about later. Wait a second, the ages. This isn't right, and it's not. And he knows, and that's why the character does the the right mm-hmm. thing. Uh, but, you know, I think it's supposed to be awkward for him. You know, that's part of the writing. Would that scene be written again today? Eh, probably not. I think there's definitely some sensitivity. But, you know what, the fact that um, there is workplace harassment, sexual harassment, or sexual assault, uh, does that mean that they can never make a movie about such topics again? Of course they can, as long as we know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. So I don't think it's a taboo topic. I think it's actually the time has opened, that the door has opened to be able to confront it and take a little closer look at kind of how people have believed or allowed Hollywood to be. Like, oh, it's always been that way. Oh, it was a, you know, it was a, it was a secret, an open secret. Um, well, uh, things have changed dramatically in the last you know, month or two. Uh, and Hollywood's taken a good hard look at itself. Uh, and, but also Hollywood's been um, very proactive in, in trying to uh, speak and represent all voices. Uh, and, that, you know, all movies, of course, have bad guys that say and do terrible things. But they've also been making sure the good guys represent the audiences that are watching them. Uh, so there's more uh, women stories being told, more women directors making movies. Uh, more people of different colors other than uh, the white folk who have dominated movies. I I grew up and was doing films in the 80s and early 90s, uh, and it's very imbalanced. It's it's incredibly Caucasian, uh, and, and, you know, Hollywood's already moved on this for years, uh, and uh, now we're getting around to people that may misuse their power uh, in Hollywood, and you know, shining a light on that is absolutely, ultimately, one of the best things going to happen to this industry. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Did you witness anything uh, growing up, like, or anything on set? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I do have worked with a number of actresses that uh, had been very uncomfortable on sets by either uh, sexual harassment, uh, in some cases sexual assault, uh, that 
I didn't know about at the time, but, you know, maybe years later, I'll talk to them or run into them, and I'll learn of, you know, that certain sets weren't all uh, all that great. Because it, it, it's the type of thing that the, uh, the survivor of sexual assault and sexual abuse, they're going to pretty much remain silent. And, and the fact that we have so many people coming forward, uh, we, you know, it is a rush of uh, allegations and uh, people coming forward on a lot of the same names, uh, but that has been building pressure for so long. So many people have kept silent for so long. So there may or may not be a fizzling of that. It could go deep and wide in the industry, and, and that kind of, you know, behavior needs to be corrected anyway. Um, so they've taken steps that, you know, uh, no one of, you know, uh, that can give someone a job uh, to be alone with someone, opposite sex, same sex, doesn't matter at this point. Uh, we find that sexual assault takes all forms, uh, even to uh, those that are underage. So it, it you know, it's maybe something that exists uh, all over society, but Hollywood tends to have very big magnifying glass on it as it magnifies the world and its stories and projects it back out to the world. So something um, that has been stinking up Hollywood for years and years, the casting catch goes back to the Broadway times in the 20s at least. Uh, so really for 100 years we've allowed, you know, the idea that, Oh, the casting couch, of course. Oh, I wonder how she got cast. Terrible, terrible for women. And, you know, it's time that it does end. So we're, it's a whole new age, I think, for Hollywood and their damage. And hopefully we, you know, continue to at least be, most of the people in the industry are absolutely fantastic, creative, inspiring people. So we're rooting out some bad apples here and making sure that it's not systemic and that people know that it's not okay to act like that. Yeah, totally, and it was really good to see Anthony come out and share his story. Yep. Anthony and uh, Corey Feldman have both been uh, uh, very brave in facing uh, their abusers, uh, and uh, very. I've always been proud of Anthony. He's been uh, always told the truth and been very uh, forthright. Uh, you know, came out early with his sexuality, and uh, it, way before it was quote uh, in to uh, come out. So I applaud him. He's very brave. Def- definitely. Can you um, were you able to watch a certain actor or director's work, knowing that they did these heinous things? I think people have been watching uh, Woody Allen and Bill Cosby and. You know, there's other people that have been alleged, like Michael Jackson. I think people can uh, sometimes they can separate the work from the man or from the woman. And there's other times it could be something that's way too uh, fresh. Uh, it may take a while before people can palate even staring at people's faces, knowing all the stories that they've heard. <laughs> and, um, you know, we're uh, the worst you could possible think of, and uh, I think a lot of people in Hollywood, they're just totally jaded. They're like, yeah, I figured. What do you mean you figured? How could you imagine, like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Um, that, uh, not, not no big deal going to happen, but, oh, yeah, I figured something like that happened. 
people aren't rushing out there proactively trying to prevent people from uh, acting in that manner, it's it's mind-boggling. But it's a seductive industry, and a lot of people that you know aren't savvy about it, they are the ones that you know fall victim more often than not to uh, uh, to that kind of thing. Yeah, and I think unlike say like a Mel Gibson where it was more words and now he's making his way back into movies as you know and directing i think this will stick with you know certain actors and directors for pretty much the rest of their careers if they even have anything left that's true uh although mel is starring in uh daddy's home too yep uh and uh you know he's a great filmmaker i think that there were at the time that Mel was having some troubles, uh, very public, uh, that uh, there were still people that are like, well, his art's great. So, you know, each case is different uh, for everybody, and that amount of time, look at Roman Polanski overseas. And, uh, you know, there's still an audience for his films. So, I don't know, it's up to the viewer. Nobody has to buy everything. Yeah, true, definitely. All right, so let's 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 move on to um, also one of my favorite movies. Uh, Don't tell mom the baby, babysitter's dead. You get another uh, babysitting movie and um, another strong female lead with Christina Applegate. You know, first with uh, Elizabeth Shue. Just talk a little bit about like both of those actresses and how like strong their performances were. They're amazing. You know, not only are they. Uh comic geniuses, but they can also hold down a dramatic moment. They can be the lead in the picture the entire uh, the entire show resting on their shoulders, and they both handled it with aplomb. Uh, absolute professionals. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a good formula. Get a good, strong, beautiful, young leading woman, and make Keith Coogan the, you know, pining uh, uh, crush or, uh, or brother. And there you go. <laughs> And throw babysitter in the title, and you're all good. Yeah, exactly. That must have seemed like a, like a fun movie to shoot. It was. It was summer camp for adults. Right. <laughs> that's yeah. That's great. Did uh, was that the only role you auditioned for? No, I auditioned for Brian, the clown dog boy. Oh, okay. Went, uh, to uh, Josh Charles. Brian. Huh? Yeah, Josh Charles. And uh, I, of course, really loved the Kenny role, but. Uh, agents thought I was a bit too old for that. I was about 19, I think. Yeah, 19. They said, no, 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 he's 15. And uh, I went and got a wig and took a skull vest and ripped jeans. And uh, after reading for Brian, the clown dog boy, I asked uh, the cast director, may I come in and show you something else? Uh, She said, sure, that's fine. I went and I changed into my wig and Basically kicked in the door in character as Kenny. Who's in charge? And uh, kind of blacked out. A lot of auditions all completely blacked out. I have no idea. I've gone into character. I can't <laughs> really remember what I did. And uh, finished, and they said, great. Uh, and she said, okay, go ahead and keep take off your wig. Took off my wig in front of the producers, and their jaws dropped. They're like, oh, that's the same kid from just before. And I booked it. I got the part. It was an amazing leap of faith for them because I had to have wigs made. I had to have two custom built wigs, uh, you know, take the life cast and uh, do handmade wigs and uh, sweat through them with, you know, the glue and 
the whole house that we were shooting in would be unbearably hot. Couldn't really run the air conditioners because of the sound. Right. Uh, and we, you know, we it it was a long thing with the venture basically about a three month shoot. And uh, and uh, Christina did this between seasons of Married with Children. Uh, on her summer hiatus, she came off and did the Don't Come on the Babysitter's Head. <clears throat> and then uh, uh, that that also had a great ad campaign. So Adventures of Babysitting had a you know, tremendous ad campaign. People were aware of it. They went out, you know, it was released in the summer. Same with Don't Come on the Babysitter's Head. Uh, they had contests, and, you know, when it came to uh, VHS, uh, it, it had huge cardboard cutouts, you know, six feet tall in the video store. So everyone was kind of aware of it. They ran, ran a lot of TV ads for it. And, uh, uh, it was, uh, I, you know, it kept, uh, both of them remained on cable, too, after airing. You know, they had successful video runs. And uh, I just love it. I love that uh, I am the king of babysitter movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And they even wrote in, like, you know, the fact that you couldn't use the air conditioning when you had that line. It was like, got to keep it at an even 76 degrees. <laughs> oh, right. Totally. <laughs> yeah. So between those two, which one do you get recognized on the street more? Uh, it is uh, Adventures of Babysitting probably, but when it is for Don't Tell Mom the Babysitters, that people will walk up to me and they'll say, just say it, because you just say it once, say the line once. And they just want to hear me say, dishes are done. Dishes are done. <laughs> and uh, so that, that always brings me great joy and, uh you know, I have lots of actors I'm huge fans of, and of course I would love them to, you know, say their uh, uh, their famous lines and stuff. So I totally understand. My wife is, you know, she uh, really, uh, she's a fan girl, so she knows what fans like and, uh, you know, what, how, how they want to be treated by, you know, uh, actors. And uh, so we, we do uh, autograph shows. We have an online shop. Uh, and we'll, you know, go to screenings and stuff, and uh, we always love reaching out, meet all the fans, and uh, uh, we provide a very good experience for them at our booths, at uh, conventions and such. That's great. How can uh, fans uh, reach you? Well, online, uh, keithcooganonline.com, and that leads to all the, you know, Twitter is Keith Coogan, Instagram, Keith Coogan. We have a, a pretty public Facebook page, although maybe full of friends. You can still follow me on Facebook, uh, Keith Coogan, and uh, those are some of the best ways. Cool. That's great. Now, I was a little jealous during that movie because you ended up getting a date with Nicole, and I had such a crush on, crush on her during that movie, uh, actress Deborah Tucker. That was, uh, yeah, I was like, ah, oh, I was rooting for you, but I was a little jealous. <laughs> Yeah. Nicole is a fan favorite. Yeah. I love the whole uh, fashion show at the end. Yeah. That was, that... It's so specifically 90s and weird, you know, these uniforms made into funky clothes. You know, it's bordering on clueless territory for the fashion choices. And uh, so you can definitely see the early 90s influence on not only Don't Tell Mom, but also clueless, too. Yeah, totally. And that that must be like probably one of the worst moms in TV in movie history, I would imagine. <laughs> oh, 
Oh, she's just the absolute worst. She goes and runs off with a freaking sheep herder down in Australia. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's, yeah, she's the worst mom. But you know what? Also, they were the worst kids, and she needed a damn break. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was pretty quick how Christina kind of, like, morphed into that role of mom. <laughs> she did, you have to. You're, stuck, you're thrust into the head of household role, and uh, you got to take charge. Yeah, no, she she did great. But that uh that summer you had another uh, great movie come out, Toy Soldiers, and my wife and I don't really like agree on a lot of movies, but we both love that movie. She'll watch it on DVR all the time, and I, you know me as well. Um, and that that was great between like you getting you from Don't Tell Mom and Adventure Babysitting, Will from Stand by Me and Star Trek, and you know Sean from The Goonies and stuff like this. Talk about kind of like it was kind of like an all star cast. Yeah, and Indiana Jones, yeah. And uh, uh, Andrew Devoff yeah. uh, as the bad, bad guy. Mason Adams. The huh. bad guys on uh, Mason Adams, R. Lee, Ermey. Yeah. It, it, what a great supporting cast. Even an uncredited, um, oh God, he played Will Wheaton's cat in that. Oh, Jerry Orbach, another one. Yeah, yeah Jerry, Jerry Orbach refused to take credit. He thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silly movie. You have a silly little movie here. Yeah. Well, you cast your check and did the part. Yeah, exactly. Take <laughs> credit. You're wonderful in the picture, by the way. Yeah. But yeah, but that that was that was a really uh, great great movie as well. Um, and that kind of like through the whole six degrees of seven, you know, uh, Kevin Bacon. You had, um, you know, Sean's obviously his father was Gomez, and yeah, yeah your, your grandfather, you know, uh, Fester. So that was kind of a, yeah. a nice tie in there. It totally was, and you know, and of course, because of the Adams family connection, I, you know, grew up with Sean. Basically, I've known him since uh, you know we were little kids. So it was fun to fun to work on it with friends. Yes, yeah, you know, Sean, the action movie star in that in that role. <laughs> yep, uh, and Will, I've gone on to work with Will. Uh, we did a Tales from the Crypt episode together. We did a uh, terrible snake movie called Python. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, it's always fun to get killed or watch Will Wheaton get killed <laughs> uh, every time we work together. Yeah. But one thing, he had that the ridiculous earring in that movie. But other than that, he he, he nailed that role. <laughs> was, you said ridiculous earring, but you're being redundant. True. Uh, <laughs> I, even in the 80s, like people would be like, well, you know, it's... In the 80s, people talked pretty awful, you know. Uh, they played Spare the Queer, and that's, you know, get the guy with the ball. Uh, and they say, well, if it's gay, or if it's on your right ear, if it's on your left ear, it's not gay. Dead. That's how they talk, too. Right. Exactly like that. Like caveman surfers. And that, no, I didn't fall for it, and I didn't get my ear pierced in the, in the damn 80s. Oh, my God. And I never had a rat tail. Thank God. Mullet. I proudly wore a mullet. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I had one for my bar mitzvah, I'll, I'll admit, and I did have an earring for, you know, a couple of years in the early 90s, but, you know, long gone now, <laughs> both of them, <laughs> with most of my hair as well. <laughs> yeah, but um, with Toy Soldiers, they um, they really couldn't make that movie now. A lot of the movies you've, you've been in, they, it's, it's, it would be hard to make now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, I trace it back to economics. Of uh, Reaganomics in the 80s, and a lot of women in the ERA 
I went and entered the workforce <laughs> and uh, left kids at home uh, as last children. They get done with school and they go home and no one would be home. They'd have to wait till mom and dad came home about five or six. So kids would watch TV and take care of themselves and go on adventures. This is how we get Goonies. This is how we get Stand By Me. We get, you know, films about kids going on great adventures and then beating, you know, just in time before the parents get home. Um, and the uh, movies, just like they stopped using women as a hostage, as the trope, oh, the bad guy's got the woman hostage. They're like, come on, that's sexist. Well, in the uh, 80s and 90s, they put kids in danger a lot. And you'd be surprised. Uh, one, uh, one movie even shot him into space on the shuttle, space camp. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. How terrible can you be of not keeping an eye on your kids? Um, and Adventures of Babysitting is part of that. Uh, and Monster Squad. And uh, uh, there was a movie called Grand Canyon where I think Peter Billingsley gets eaten alive by wolves. Uh, so they, uh, Halloween went on. Danielle Harris was a great screen queen. Yes. Uh, featured as the younger sister in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Death. So, you know, all these things, it's going to change over time. I think you, you, Robert Rodriguez, uh, when he did Planet Terror, uh, his half of the Grand House pictures, uh, played on the trope that, uh, you know, the kid is left alone with a gun for a minute to defend himself. The mom walks away from the car, and he immediately, you just see, boom, and the gun goes off. And he, he, that was like taking that let's harm children on screen to the ultimate limit and, uh, uh, and hysterical. But, you know, I had to have some context about the past uh, and what it used to, the kind of predicaments it used to, you know, dangle. Because there's a cheap plot element. And so we're, I'm kind of glad that those days are over. And now kids are, now we're in the kids are, the, Jurassic Park precocious little brat syndrome kids. <laughs> way, these kids are way smarter than they have any right to be. But they also have Instagram and Facebook and Google and all that other crap that we didn't have growing up. So I think the kids are developing and uh, are maturing much faster than we ever did. I am matured at a 56K rate, you know. Yeah, totally. They're here on T1. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And uh, my, my daughter now, who is seven, was able to work an iPhone when she was two years old. <laughs> That's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really is. But, you know, it's funny, like, you, you look at your movies, the, it would have been over in, like, five minutes if it hadn't, you know, there been a cell phone. <laughs> well, I play that game with all of them. And uh, you can, it's fun, show. yeah. So with Adventures of Babysitting, she forgot her purse. Right. So her cell phone would be in her purse. Boom, I took care of that one. Yes. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, in uh, Toy Soldiers... Well, first of all, in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead, yes, Mom would have been calling Swell's cell phone and blowing that up throughout the movie. <laughs> right. She would have ignored it. Yes. So we took care of that. Uh, or she would have been cute, like, oh, hi, Mom, sorry, I can't talk, gotta go. Yeah. And then in Toy Soldiers, uh, they uh, probably would do, before they go and invade the school at the end, the military to go rescue the kids, Some they would probably do cell, cell jamming as well as blacking out the school. Right. And radio frequencies being jammed. Uh, but it would have been a heck of a lot easier for Sean Esmith to sneak all the info out of the school if he could just tweet it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but they probably would have confiscated all the phones. You know the kids would have hidden some somewhere. Yeah, totally. So that would have been a part of the plot is finding the cell phone and all that other stuff. And it's amazing that they, they um, uh, check off, they failed to fire Chekhov's gun. 
because they set up that he could hack into the phone system at the beginning of the movie, and then they never show Billy Tepper and any of the kids trying to hack into the phone systems again. No, you're right. You're right. Now, now speaking of uh, Sean Astin, have you watched uh, Stranger Things? I've not seen season two yet. Okay, yeah. So don't, don't tell me about the Radio Shack hero that Sean is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, watch it. He's, he's fabulous. Uh, that's, that's all I'm going to say. That, I'm, I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, now speaking of some, like, other pop culture stuff, have you seen Thor yet? Yes. Ragnarok. Uh, loved it. Fantastic. Highly recommended. Five out of five would go again. Yes, I, I was finally happy they uh, they made a proper Thor movie. <laughs> and I do hope people continue to uh, try to take people that uh, may not have seen the original Blade Runner or just saw it or whatever. It doesn't matter. Go see Blade Runner 2049. Get it on home media. It's a uh, groundbreaking. It's a watershed event in filmmaking. Uh, I think it's just, uh, it's just, Transcendent. So I love Blade Runner twenty forty nine too. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I, I'm definitely going to. Uh, it kind of, I mean, it kind of died in the theater, pretty much like the first one. It's going to have a cult following, I'd imagine, like 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 the first one. Eh, eh, well, it's going to be considered a classic, just like the first one. Yeah, pr- pr- pretty much. You know, like in video, and I'm sure they'll have nine million versions of it as well. <laughs> it's not that kind of movie. They should have released it in several theaters. Just in the major New York, L.A., let it play for months. Let the audience find this movie. They tried to shove it down everybody's throat like a blockbuster, and it's not that kind of movie. It's you know, there's a lot more thinking involved. It's still got great action and a, and a great pacing, but it's also got times where it takes its time, and a lot of movies don't do that today. Right, De- definitely. And another uh, kids one, so to speak, on a Stranger Things level. It. Have you seen uh, it yet? the original telemovie so yeah it is on uh the list yeah it was it, it was somebody swore that one of the 16 magazines or one of the magazines they were reading in it had uh either my name or one of my pictures in it so i must see it just for narcissistic reasons definitely i didn't notice that i'll have to go back and watch it again but yeah it was it, it was really good and it actually had one of the kids from stranger things in it as well yeah, and then now we're we're pretty much a month away from uh, Last Jedi. How excited are you for that? Um, unbelievable. I think uh, Ryan Johnson is a genius filmmaker, and um, been been a big fan since Brick. And uh, yes, Looper. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Brick. I've been a big fan since Brick. <laughs> right. Looper, okay. Eh, not so much. Okay. Okay. But, but he he knows why. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and then they they announced uh, last week that he's, he's going to be heading up the, a new trilogy after this. Um, Shut up and take my money. Yeah, pretty much. And I love I love that he tweeted out. He's like, now I really really hope you like Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Now, do you actually think there can be too much Star Wars? No, hush your mouth. Yeah, <laughs> no. I'm I'm just asking. I mean, I'll yeah, I'll, there, I'll see it any day of the week. Be, there could be some holiday Christmas special. <laughs> oh come on that was awesome that was awful <laughs> oh come on anytime you see hear B. Arthur singing I mean come on yeah some it, things should just not be and that should Art Carney should have nothing to do with Star Wars universe yeah but you know it gave us Boba Fett you know the, okay it introduced us to Boba Fett I'll give you that yeah yeah I 
because, you know, obviously, I think George Lucas burned every copy. I was able to find one on eBay about 10 years ago in VHS. So I have that. Of course, I don't have a VCR, but, you know. <laughs> but, Keith, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. And, um, thank you, Noel. Of course. Now, uh, I know you love going to uh, the conventions. Do you ever come to the East Coast? Uh, we are booking up our schedule for next uh, year and uh, looking at uh, going up and down the eastern seaboard uh, as much as we can. So we'll see what shows we can uh, come on out to. But we love, uh, uh, you know, we love traveling for these and, and meeting folks all over the country. And uh, you never know who's your fan. Well, you know, I had a, a grandma walk up to the table, and I thought, oh, well, you know, maybe he's familiar with my grandfather or a fox and the hound. Or <laughs> and then she goes, no, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. That's the one for me. It's just <laughs> me so you never know who's gonna who's gonna be fan of what. <laughs> yeah, that's that's great, Keith. Thank you so much. Thanks, all. Have a good night. And a special thanks to Keith Coogan for joining us today. Check out his website, Keith Coogan Online. There you can order autographed photos. He'll personalize merchandise, pictures. Uh, check him out on Twitter at Keith Coogan. He's on Facebook. He's on every social media platform. You can check me out on Twitter at the first Noah19. Be sure to like the page we're living my youth on Facebook. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Keep the reviews coming. A special thanks to everyone listening. I can't do it without you guys. And be on the lookout for another episode of Reliving My Youth real soon.